Welcome to the Nourish Babes podcast. We're your hosts, Bella and Madison, your go-to besties for all things women's wellness. We're here to help you balance your hormones, heal your gut, learn how to eat, exercise, sleep, manage your stress, break free of diet culture, and get confident as fuck about your own health and healing. Let's dive into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Nourished Babes podcast. This episode is a controversial one, but we are super passionate about this subject. So here we go. This episode is all about vegan and vegetarian diets. We're going to discuss five reasons we don't recommend following a vegan or vegetarian diet and five tips to transition out of a vegan or vegetarian diet while supporting your gut and hormones. Let's start off by saying we totally understand why you may have or currently are vegan or vegetarian. Our intention with this episode is to educate based on our own experiences, our own trainings, and our education working in the nutrition world for the last six years. We both are coming from backgrounds where we were either vegan, vegetarian, both, or plants just made up a huge priority in our diets. So first off, we wanted to start with our own personal experiences with eating this way. Bella, you want to get started? Yes, so my vegetarian and vegan journey was definitely not as extreme as Maddie's, as she will talk about in a moment. But in the seventh grade, I decided to go vegetarian because I just assumed that that was, quote, healthier for me. Um, That only lasted about a month, though, until I wanted to go and have in and out with my friends. So that was the only time I really put, like, a label on my diet and was strictly vegetarian. But that said, in college and especially while getting my master's degree in nutrition, again, I was never vegan or vegetarian, but many of the people around me were and many of my colleagues were. So at that time, I also didn't really prioritize or understand the importance of animal-based nutrition like I do now. I would eat so many meals without any animal protein, and I just thought that that was perfectly fine. That was totally normal. I was getting enough protein and whatnot. I also would consider beans as like a great source of protein, but I definitely do not consider them a great source of protein, protein now. So I just think it's interesting, even though I never put a label on my diet, I was still so influenced by my friends and what they were eating or just like the holistic health world in general that eating meat-free was just totally fine. However, I still absolutely struggled with a slow sluggish metabolism, poor thyroid function, terrible periods, fatigue, moodiness, and I just assumed that was normal because again, I thought I was eating relatively healthy. And I think that started to change when one day I, sometimes I would feel really tired and I would eat a steak that night. And then the next morning I would wake up and I would feel so energized. And I was like, whoa, there's a lot of truth to eating animal protein. So as I learned more about the importance of animal protein and getting it literally in every single meal and snack, which I now do in my daily life, I feel so much better. And I love your story because you didn't ever go super, super extreme, but I just Mm -hmm. remember you showing me photos of your old food and it was just like so many salads, raw veggies, tons of different ingredients. And that's very much too what I thought was super, super healthy. Yes, absolutely. I felt like that was normal and fine, but I would never eat those things now or that way more like. So in 
my experience, I was vegetarian or vegan for the majority of my 20s. So when I moved away to college when I was 18, I remember a friend that I met showed me a documentary all about meat. I don't remember which one. It was just like some video online about meat and kind of the harms of meat. And right away, I was like, wow, that's super sad. I feel like I want to be vegetarian. So she convinced me to just like start start with going vegetarian. So I was first convinced it was better for the environment, but then also doing a little bit more research, I was like, yeah, being vegetarian is so much better for your health too. So I did consume dairy and eggs at this time, but I really wasn't consuming the best quality food uh, when I started going to college and became vegetarian. And a little bit after this, I started to really struggle more with my digestive issues and just started to take more things out of my diet, things like gluten, dairy, soy, and sugar. And at that point, I was just very, I was very strict vegetarian. Once I decided I was vegetarian, I was a vegetarian. Like I did not go off of that. So as my gut issues continued, I kept hearing things about eggs and I was like, well, I'm not doing dairy anymore. I might as well just like take out eggs because those could be a trigger for my gut issues. And that was probably like five or six years into being vegetarian and was basically vegan almost. So I was like, okay, fine. I'm just going to take out eggs out of my diet. So at that point I was like, okay, I'm vegan now. So that was, yeah, like five, six-ish years of being vegetarian. And then I was vegan from about 2015 to 2019-ish. And I was the stereotypical vegan. I was so dogmatic and strict about it. I never cheated. Like I always was just, was very strict vegan. I also did it for all the reasons. I did it for my health. I thought it was the healthiest diet in the world. I also did it for the environment and I also did it morally. So it became so intertwined within my identity. And I think it's worth noting that yes, for a time, I was more of like a junk food vegan at first where I would eat some quote unquote more processed vegan foods, but I didn't do that for very long. And after that, I was very particular about my vegan diet. I ate tons of plants, leafy greens, fruits, whole foods, organic, no vegetable oils. At one point I was doing no salt. My meals were like literally quote unquote picture perfect the epitome of like the perfect vegan diet, really well-sourced, whole food, plant-based. I sometimes was telling Bella that I liked to be called whole food, plant-based because I was like, (laughs) vegans eat junk food and I'm whole food, plant-based and I eat just like plants. So that was for about three years. So I, during this time, I continued to struggle with just lingering gut issues. I mean, yes, they got better, but still was having bloating and gas and diarrhea. Just felt very sensitive in my gut. And I, when I went back to school and got my master's degree in nutrition in 2016, I was still vegan. And in school, I was literally learning about the health benefits of things like beef and liver and eggs and bone broth and red meat, which I appreciate my school teaching me this nutrition perspective and I refused to believe it, even though I was getting a degree in nutrition and they were telling us all these benefits from all these foods. I was like, no, I'm still vegan. This is the way to go. And it wasn't until around 2019, so maybe, yeah, that was like a year or two after, until I finally, I was just, I was continuing, continually struggling with gut issues. And I kept getting these like people being like, you gotta try bone broth. Maybe you should not be eating as many raw vegetables. Uh, I had a naturopath be like, you need red meat in your life. And I just refused. And after a while, I had to come to this really hard transition where I was like, what I'm doing is not working. I'm literally eating as perfect as I can possibly 
being vegan and I decided to reintroduce animal products in around 2019, so a couple years ago. The transition out was so hard. It almost felt like leaving a very restrictive religion, which I also have done. It felt very similar because mm-hmm. my me being vegan was so tied to mm-hmm. the clothes that I wore and the words that I used and like the decisions that I made and the food that I bought. Like it was very much entwined with my personality. So we're going to talk more about kind of ways to navigate that. But during that time, I slowly started adding things like eggs, meats, uh, bone broths, and dairy products and have never looked back since then. I love it. I love how you have a very like typical vegan experience. It always starts with a documentary. Always. Someone watches like what the health and they're like, oh my God, realization. I'm going vegan for the planet and for my health and for the animals and whatnot. And then they feel fine on it. That's also what happens a lot. People feel great in the beginning. And then after like five, ten years, their health starts really declining. People keep telling them like, oh, maybe you should reincorporate animal products back in. But they don't want to listen. Yes. And then eventually they do. And they it just comes back. And it's just so much better. Yes. So let's now discuss the five reasons why we don't recommend vegan or vegetarian diets and then get into the five tips on how to transition if you're interested in coming off one of these diets. So the first one is the lack of protein. And I know this sounds just like very typical and most vegans are like, you can get enough protein on a vegan diet, but oh, it's so hard. So if you're new around here, definitely go back to the episode on protein and listen much more on that episode. But it's so common for vegans and vegetarians to lose their muscle mass, have hair loss, losing their periods. I've heard so many women losing their periods on a vegan or vegetarian diet. And this can be due to just like the overall low caloric consumption, low thyroid function, but also most likely the lack of protein within the diet. So if you've been listening, you know that we recommend at least 100 grams of protein per day or more all coming from animal products. It is possible to get 100 grams of protein on a plant-based diet, especially if you're vegetarian because you are eating a little bit more animal products compared to vegan. But one, it's really difficult to do so. You need to be really conscious of it. And the second thing is you're getting so many carbs at the same time. So if your protein sources are coming from things like beans, grains, nuts, seeds, tofu, all of those things have protein, but they also have a lot of carbohydrates. So for example, if you take 100 grams of steak, that contains 30 grams of protein and zero grams of carbs. Compare that to 100 grams of soybeans, that contains only 12 grams of protein and 30 grams of carbs. So you're literally getting triple the amount of carbohydrates versus if you were to just eat a steak. So it's really hard to keep your blood sugar balance in this case because you're eating so many more carbohydrates compared to protein. Protein's also essential to help you feel full and satiated. I know Maddie has told me that when she was vegan, she was literally having to eat every two hours or less to actually feel full. And again, this can also be very stressful to the body. Your blood sugar is gonna be all over the place. It's really hard to let your digestion have that break and that rest to actually digest. And the last thing I want to mention is plant protein is not bioavailable, meaning if you eat plant protein, you're actually only going to absorb 40 to 60% of the protein within those plants 
versus if you're eating animal protein, you absorb 90 to 100% of the protein. So again, I think protein, a lot of vegans say like you can get enough protein and that's true, but it's like, are you actually absorbing and utilizing it? Is it bioavailable? So many things. Yes. I know for me that was huge. I was like my, I had look at old pictures of myself and my, I had no muscle mass. I was mm-hmm. very thin. My hair was thinning. I felt hungry all the time. I had to eat so consistently and for sure it was, it was because of protein and I definitely was not getting enough protein. So let's get into number two. Number two is just nutrient deficiencies and the fact that vegan and vegetarian diets are nutrient deficient. The lack of bioavailability of nutrients in vegan and vegetarian diets, especially fat-soluble vitamins. So literally every nutrient, every vitamin, every mineral in animal form is easier to digest, absorb, and assimilate. So I think plants look really great on paper, right? You can look up kale, nutrients, and kale will give you all these super high numbers, but the reality is that doesn't take into account the different versions of nutrients and forms of nutrients and also the fact that plants contain certain chemicals that bind to their vitamins and minerals and keep them unavailable for you to absorb because they don't want to be digested. Especially that is the case with grains, beans, and nuts and seeds. They're all seeds. They bind to certain minerals and vitamins so that you can't absorb them. So it doesn't ever take that into account. And let's get into some of the the fat-soluble vitamins. So first and foremost, vitamin A, so essential for skin health, liver function, immune function. And everyone says, yeah, there's vitamin A in plant foods, especially things like carrots. And it's like, no, those that's beta carotene. It's very different than the active form of vitamin A, which is retinol. And the conversion rate, yes, can be higher in people who do have plant-based diets because you're basically forcing your body to use that and turn it into vitamin A. But the reality is the conversion rate is so, so, so low. I think it's like 7% or mm-hmm. less is actually a beta carotene is getting converted into retinol. So vitamin A is a big one. That is a fat-soluble vitamin, meaning that it is digested, absorbed, assimilated, and stored in fat. Another one is vitamin D. It is literally not found in plants, except for mushrooms if you put them out in the sun. So it is not found in plant foods. It is only found in animal foods, things like egg yolks, fish, cold water fatty fish, red meat, and vitamin D is so essential for bone health, for immune function, for brain function, and cognition, and also your gut lining, making sure that your digestive lining is super strong, and again, literally not found in plant foods. Um, Another one is vitamin K, again, fat-soluble vitamin. So yes, there is vitamin K in plant foods. It is vitamin K1, which is very different than vitamin K2. So again, you look at a form online, it's like, okay, kale is super high in vitamin K. Doesn't give you the form, it also doesn't tell you how much you're actually absorbing and digesting. So vitamin K1 is only found in plants, but K2, which is the more absorbed, digested, assimilated version, is only found in dairy products or fermented products, but mostly in fermented dairy products. Vitamin K is super important for bone health, brain function, blood flow, and also wound healing. Just some other ones, your B vitamins. Yes, there's some B vitamins in plant foods, but again, so much easier to digest, absorb, and assimilate in animal foods. It's Your B vitamins are really important for brain function, liver health, energy production, mood, and again, found highest in animal products, especially liver and red meat. 
Same with calcium. Yes, there's calcium in spinach. There's oxalates in spinach, though. That really, that it doesn't help. It essentially doesn't allow you to absorb the calcium as easy. So calcium is easier to digest in animal products, especially things like dairy and seafood. Same with zinc, right? Nothing compares to the amount of zinc you can find in oysters and red meat. Yes, you can get some zinc from pumpkin seeds. The same thing. Same with iron, right? Heme iron versus non-heme iron. Yes, you can get some non-heme iron from plant-based foods, but the reality is how much are you actually absorbing, digesting, and assimilating? B12 is another one. You literally can't get it from plant foods. Most vegans do know that, and they will supplement with B12. Um, and just, an, I mean, you can look up online. You can search kale versus beef liver or beef versus blueberries or like just, just do a nutrient comparison and you'll see for most things, calcium, potassium, iron, zinc, all your fat soluble vitamins, vitamin C, all your B vitamins, the amount, the concentration and the bioavailability is always better for your animal based foods. So how do these nutritional deficiencies actually show up in symptoms? There's a bunch. First, anemia, low thyroid function or Hashimoto's, lack of luster in your skin or your hair, brittle bones, losing your hair, muscle wasting, low body weight, losing your period, low body temperature, low pulse, mood disorders, depression, anxiety, trouble sleeping, autoimmune issues, joint disorders, blood sugar imbalances, food allergies and sensitivities, Skin issues, fatigue, bloating, gas, diarrhea, hormonal imbalances, there's so much more, but that is a pretty comprehensive list. Absolutely. It's interesting when you look at the nutrient comparisons that I think vitamin C is the only food, like plant food, that is found more in plant foods than animal products, but literally every single other mineral vitamin out there is way higher quantities in animal products. So the next point we want to talk about is being vegan, unlike you may have been led to believe, is not necessarily better for the planet. So to first start off, I think we can all agree that mass production farms and these feedlot CAFO type farms where there's beef everywhere and they're fed corn and soy, these are actually a true problem and not helping the environment at all. But I think both us health conscious omnivores and vegans agree on this point. But then the other points is where it gets a little wishy-washy. So vegan solution to this is just stop eating meat. Whereas we argue that it's better to revert back to regenerative agriculture, which is a method of farming that helps to improve the land while working with animals. So you must have animals on land, on grassland, pooping, grazing, scratching, roughing up the land in order to regenerate the soil. Things don't happen in nature alone like we need each other the land needs the animals the animals need the people and so far another argument is that there's not enough land in the world for regenerative agriculture but the truth is is that most of the land that's used for raising livestock is actually not adequate for growing crops so for growing crops you want these large plots of flat land but animals can be grown on hills or on the mountainside, places where you can't grow crops, so there actually is enough land if we treat it properly. Another false argument is that raising livestock takes up way too much water, but 
they don't say where that water is or where that water is coming from. And most of it's actually just coming from rain, rainfall that waters the grass and then the beef eat that grass. So it's not like these beef are stealing all the water from the rest of the world. Um, the last point I want to make is that many argue that the cow's farts produce huge amounts of methane, which is true. Like cow farts, cows do fart and they do produce methane. But when, again, the land is properly managed and the, uh, the grass and the soil actually sequester more methane than the cows are giving off. So again, it's not a solo thing. You have to have both the cows and good quality soil to make the system circular. Again, there's so many more points I could make, but overall, we need to be working with the land and with the animals, not separating the two. You need animals to fertilize and create good soil and you need good soil to nourish the animals. Nothing is so black and white and we can't make it that way. Everything works together and it's so much more complex than just stop eating meat. I love this point because this for me was huge. I was like, beef is killing the planet. It's yes. so bad. Like there's a lot of propaganda about that. And what changed for me is I remember listening to Lierre Keith on a podcast. She is the author of The Vegetarian Myth. And she was talking about gardening. And she was talking about working on mm-hmm. a vegan garden. Working in a vegan garden. And they were putting like blood meal and bone meal like <laughs> in the soil. And like buying manure. And um, she was like, this doesn't make any sense. We're trying to be like a vegan garden. And you can't really be... You can't really have a thriving biodynamic garden without the input of animals and so it's just like the context really matters there's so much much complexities to it and it that just made so much sense to me and also when I started gardening more I was like wow animals play an important part in all of this if you've ever visited a farm you know like they have animals they use all of the things that the animals produce it's like this is it is a whole ecosystem that the plants and the animals work together Absolutely. I also think Sacred Cow, that book, and I think it's also a documentary now or it's coming out. Um, that's another great way. They go in way more depth of all, of all three, the moral reasons, environmental reasons, and nutritional reasons to eat meat. And I think reading that book for some people can really help understand the full picture and that it's not so nuanced. Yes. Okay, so number four is all about gut health, being vegan, and vegetarian is hard on the digestive system. So I initially went vegan because I heard it was great for gut health, right? Just minimizing Mm -hmm. animal products. Animal products cause cancer and gut issues and all these things. So again, I initially felt better because I was going from eating some processed foods and just like really simplified my diet. But eventually I still was experiencing bloating, gas on a day-to-day basis. I was very tired. I was hungry all the time. Essentially, I forced myself to be vegan for a couple more years than I really thought I should because I thought it was going to heal me. Plants are just inherently harder to digest, especially grains, beans, nuts, and seeds because they don't have defense mechanisms like animals do. So they create plant chemicals to keep us from eating them. Like I said, especially grains, beans, nuts, and seeds. They're all seeds. They're literally babies for plants and they want to get planted. So they're going to try to remain undigested unless you sprout, ferment, or uh, prepare them properly. So those are often referred to as anti-nutrients. Some vegetables also have those, but mostly grains, beans, nuts, and seeds, which when I was vegan, I was 
having a can of beans every single day, so many grains, just like at every single meal I was eating grains, beans, nuts, or seeds, or all four. So excessive consumption of plant foods can cause a lot of damage and irritation to the gut wall. This isn't to say never eat plants, it's just they're harder to digest. So I think what people don't realize is that they're they're eating these in excess and they're not preparing them properly. So they can contribute to gas, bloating, undigested food in your stool, constipation, diarrhea, IBS, SIBO, and more. So this goes against all almost all the health narratives about eating healthy, right? More plants is always like healthier or better for the environment or that's just the mainstream narrative is like more plants is always better. However, that's not necessarily true, especially if you're struggling with lots of gut issues. So I think plants and animals have a place in a healthy diet. I also, so I was vegan, but then also went to the opposite end of the spectrum and was carnivore. Now I'm right in the middle where yes, plants have a place. Animals also have a place in the diet. So let's talk about some of the easier to digest plant foods, things like fruits, juices, roots, squash, white rice, plantains, sourdough bread. Essentially, these are pre-digested and really, really easy for your body to digest. And some of the harder to digest plant foods include your cruciferous veggies. So things like raw broccoli and kale and Brussels sprouts, especially, or just raw veggies in general. Cooking them can really help. And then, of course, grains, beans, nuts, and seeds, which we've talked about before. You can sprout, soak, sprout, or ferment those, and that's going to help you digest them better. I think it's just good to note that the context of your overall diet matters and how much you're consuming these things also Mm -hmm. matters. So another way that it can be rough on the gut is that you have to eat so often. Like when I was vegan, I was eating every two hours because I would eat this massive salad and it would keep me full for about an hour and then I was like, I was hungry again. So this can interfere with what is called your migrating motor complex. So it's essentially how fast or slow food is moving through your system. It's kind of like a a cleanup crew. So this happens about an hour and a half to three hours after your last meal. And it's your body just like cleaning up extra debris and food through your digestive tract. It's really important for your gut microbiome balance and your motility. And this is a big reason why we tell people to space your meals out a couple hours because your body needs to do this process to clean everything up. And yes, ideally your your body has a couple of hours of break in between. However, if you're eating primarily plant-based, not a lot of protein, you're gonna feel hungry after an hour or two. So that's another reason why in regards to gut health that it can be harder on the digestive system. Yes, I totally agree. I think that when you're eliminating animal foods, you just have to eat so many more plant foods. And it's not that these plant foods are bad. It's just that we have to eat them in such large quantities to eat enough and feel full and satisfied. So it's not the best solution. Number five is vegan and vegetarian diets often wreak havoc on our hormones. So I've heard so many complaints about women who are on these types of diets struggling with hormonal imbalances and especially symptoms like losing your period is such a big one because you just don't have enough nutrients, but also like PMS, painful periods and other hormonal symptoms. And I think the biggest reason for this is that so many of these plant alternatives are full of soy. So think of tofu and all those weird like fake meats and whatnot. Um, most of them are full, filled with soy and soy is naturally estrogenic. 
So there is this huge misconception that dairy is full of hormones, but that's just not true. I have looked at the study and actually shown it in my own online course, but the study showed that many plant foods are way higher in estrogenic activity compared to animal foods. So just for example, in 500 grams of tofu, there was over 100 million nanograms of estrogenic activity. Uh, pinto beans had 900,000 nanograms of estrogenic activity. Soy flour was the highest with 700 million nanograms. So this is just an outrageous amount of estrogenic activity. Compare that to 500 grams of milk only had 32 nanograms. So it's just like not comparison. And we already live in this extremely estrogenic society and we're having trouble detoxifying ex excess estrogen from our body. So we don't need to be adding these huge amounts even more. That's absolutely going to contribute to hormonal imbalances. So overall, eating tons of these animal protein alternatives will absolutely add, again, estrogenic activity to your body and contribute to estrogen dominance and all of the symptoms. Along with the abundance of soy and estrogen hormones, these kind of diets are also, like we mentioned, very low in animal protein. And this is especially pro problematic for hormones because we need protein for proper liver function to eliminate these excess hormones. We need protein in order to convert thyroid hormone to its active form. We need enough protein for blood sugar re regulation. So overall, animal protein is just also so much higher in vitamins and minerals, which is going to support our hormone balance so much better. So I think it could be possible, again, for a small amount of time to be vegan or vegetarian, but it's just so much easier and makes so much more sense to eat animal proteins if you want well-balanced hormones. Okay, so now let's get into five ways to support your body after being vegetarian or vegan and trying to reintroduce animal products. So number one, pretty self-explanatory, but just start super slow. So if you haven't had meat or dairy or animal products in a couple of years, I know some people who go decades without eating animal products, you want to ease super slow into it. So when it comes to meat, starting with things like bone broth, meat stock, eggs, fish, chicken and turkey is a great place to start because those tend to be a little bit easier on your system, especially something like bone broth would be a great place to start. Then of course, as your body gets used to this, slowly adding in some of your heavier meats like lamb, pork, and beef. When it comes to dairy, starting with things that are really, really easy to digest, things like ghee, butter, and cream, and prioritizing raw when you can. If you don't have access to raw, you can do things like A2, dairy products or non-homogenized products, and then slowly get into more harder cheeses, yogurt, kefir, and then eventually softer cheeses and things like milk. So when we say slowly increase, I'm talking like months, right? If especially again, if you've been vegan or vegetarian for years, I guess it depends on if you're vegetarian and did dairy before, but especially if you were vegan, take it super, super slow, listen to your body. And when I have clients reintroduce foods or clients who were previously vegan or vegetarian, um, that they've previously reacted to foods, I have them start super, super slow, I have them start with one small serving of something and just focusing on one food, one thing, not reintroducing too much at once, and then waiting a day or two, 
after you reintroduce it just to see how your body responds to a food. And of course, just doing it super slow, doing it over the course of a couple months, even six months or more, and just giving your body time to adjust. Absolutely. And number two is to start with your cravings. So I've heard this from so many vegans, like I had dreams about eating a burger or I just, I couldn't stop thinking about eggs. I had a friend who was once vegan and she just like couldn't stop thinking about eggs and she was craving eggs so much. So she started eating eggs. Um, or I hear people, I'm just thinking about a burger. Like all I want is a burger. And then, so they go and eat one. Um, we, again, like Maddie was just talking about, we often recommend to start with easier to digest foods, but I was listening to this podcast recently of a woman who was transitioning off of a vegan diet and she felt like the best place was to start was with bone broth because that's of course what everyone was telling her, like start with something very easy and that's healing to the gut. So she went out, she bought some nice pasture raised bones, came home and made it, but she just like physically couldn't bring herself to eating it. So she gave it to her dogs. It didn't go to waste, but she was just like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to be able to transition. And then she was talking to her friend one day and was like, what are you craving? Like what sounds delicious? What do you actually want? And she was like, I'm so embarrassed to say this, but a rotisserie chicken. (laughs) And so her friend was like, do that, go out, go find a nice pasteurized chicken, make it from scratch at home and see what happens. So that's what she did. And she had no problems at all eating that chicken and eventually transitioning to eating all sorts of animal products. So I think that's a really good place to start. It's like your body knows we're going to have a whole episode about cravings. And so your body knows, and it's trying to tell you something. So it's really helpful to listen. Yes, I love that because even though we say like follow this kind of way of doing things if you're craving certain things, yeah, like start there. I think still start small, but listen to your cravings. So the third one is supporting your stomach acid. Supporting stomach acid is super important because stomach acid is essential for digesting in general, but especially digesting more protein. So stomach acid is usually really low in vegans and vegetarians because They haven't been consuming a lot of animal protein. When you don't consume a lot of animal protein, your body reduces stomach acid, making it even harder to digest animal protein. Your body's super intelligent. If it knows that it doesn't need the acid, it will stop producing it as much. So the first thing that you wanna do to support really good stomach acid is starting with increasing your protein intake super slow. Like Bella talked about before, protein is essential and many vegans and vegetarians lack protein in their diet so ease into more protein sources and give your body that cue that it needs to create more stomach acid some other tips are using digestive bitters so digestive bitters are a liquid tincture of bitter herbs things like ginger dandelion orange peel gentian milk thistle burdock they're extracted with alcohol and they help stimulate your own digestive juices. So you spray them on your tongue or swish them in your mouth around 15 minutes before a meal, and they're going to help your body create its own good digestive juices and create more stomach acid. If you forget to do it right before your meal uh, or 15 minutes before your meal, you can do it right before or even after if that's when you remember. It's better to just do it at, do it whenever rather than never at all 
Another way is to do apple cider vinegar diluted in water. Just about a teaspoon in a cup of water is enough. Do that with your meal or before your meal. You can also do a small cup of warm ginger tea, which is very similar to bitters and that it's helping stimulate your stomach acid to increase and is going to produce and help you make more digestive enzymes. You can also do small amounts of warm water to your bone broth with your meals instead of a, a lot of cold beverages, which can dilute your stomach acid and slow digestion down. Also being mindful around your meals, slowing down with your meals, having rituals around meals, making meals sacred and fun and enjoyable and things you look forward to, that is going to be really supportive for stomach acid production. And also stress reduction is huge overall, but specifically around your meals. So putting away distractions, sitting down, slowing down, putting your fork down in between bites and just slowing down with your meals is very helpful. I love it. Uh, number four is to prioritize high quality animal products. So this ensures that you're supporting good animal welfare practices and that the nutrition of the animal is the highest. It also tastes better often too. I've heard so many people that have tried to reintroduce meat back into their diet and they'd say like, oh, I just couldn't stomach it. But I feel like often more times than not, it was poor quality, low grade animal products, not good local pasture-raised animal products. So let's go through some of the most common animal products and talk about what to look for when you're at the grocery store or your local market. So for meat, this includes red meat, chicken, turkey. You always wanna look for pasture-raised and 100% grass-fed, meaning they ate the diet that was biologically made for them. The grass-fed is for the meat, not necessarily for the chicken or turkey. You also wanna make sure you're avoiding nitrates and things like lunch meat, bacon, etc. I think people are often shocked because we eat a lot of turkey, like deli turkey, but we always buy high quality, non-nitrate turkey. Uh, another one is eggs, ideally local from a local farm or even your backyard, but pasture raised is the next best option. Free range and cage free, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. I feel like almost, I've never seen an egg that doesn't say cage free or free range. Like that is definitely the lowest quality. So look for pasture when possible. Dairy, of course, raw dairy, raw milk is always best. You can go to rawmilk.com to find raw milk near you or check out your local farmer's market. If you don't have any access to raw milk, A2 dairy is the next best option. It's usually from Jersey cows that have a different protein that's much easier to digest. Uh, Non-homogenized would be the next best option, meaning the fat and the liquid is still separate from each other and it's not blended really fast. That can ruin some of the proteins and make it much harder to digest. Grass-fed is ideal in all cases, and some um, brands that we have found in our local stores that are high quality, they're not the best, but still definitely good, are Kelowna and Strauss. And even just like a Daisy brand of like sour cream or something, I know obviously not the highest quality, but the only ingredient is milk or cream or whatever it is, there's only one ingredient, and there's no other additional ingredients additives again minimizing additives whenever possible like gums especially vitamin a and d that's usually added to milk everywhere and that 
can really alter how well we digest dairy. Goat and sheep products are also great if you struggle with digestive issues because they, again, have that A2 protein, so they're much easier to digest. And then lastly, when it comes to seafood, wild caught is always ideal, but any others is still better than nothing. Uh, if you like oysters, you can choose Crown Prince for the canned oysters or Wild Planet for things like tuna and salmon. And we also wanna reiterate that not obviously not everyone has access to the highest quality animal proteins or they just don't have the budget for them. Maybe someone's preferences are affordability and not necessarily high quality. So we still truly believe that if you can tolerate low quality animal products and that's all you have access to, that is much better than avoiding animal products all together and just only choosing their plant-based alternatives. Yes, and a small correction, it's realmilk.com, not rawmilk.com. Oh, uh, yes, yes, you're right. I know, it should be rawmilk.com. It should be. So, the last one is super important, is be gentle with yourself through this process. So, if you're anything like me, transitioning out of veganism was literally like similar to leaving this the super restrictive religion that I grew up in. It became, veganism became so much a part of my identity that when I started eating meat again, I felt... Like I had to figure out who I was again. I was like the person who would binge watch YouTube videos of vegans for fun. It was like so much a part of my lifestyle and so much a part of my persona. So with that said, it was very hard to transition out of it. And I get it if you're currently going through that or are watching someone else go through that. So as far as a couple things that helped me, one of the biggest ones was staying off social media pages that promote veganism. So like I said, on YouTube, I had all these, I subscribed to all these vegan channels and they would come out with videos talking like talking about how people who were transitioning out of veganism were fake and they were never really vegan and they weren't doing it right. It's like, those are super toxic. So I stayed off a lot of social media. I unfollowed a lot of people, stopped consuming information that made me feel bad about eating meat and just tried to follow people who were supportive or had been through a similar thing or were also transitioning out of veganism because it's always good to feel like you are not alone in, in that. So I didn't have anyone in person, but I was I found a lot of people online helpful in reassuring me that it is okay to eat meat and listen to your body. Another one is having a journaling practice or just like someone to talk to about it, someone to vent to, someone to like process your emotions with. And if you don't, having some kind of journaling practice and writing like what things are coming up and that can be really helpful. Also, another big one was just learning to trust my body because my symptoms were starting to improve once I started to eat animal products. And so it was like the proof is in the pudding. Like, yes, I can logically think that vegan is the best thing in the world, but like literally my body is feeling better as I'm eating animal products. And that is so valuable and just like learning to trust the process and trusting my body and knowing like I feel better so this is right and just like go with this. Also just realizing like it's gonna take a lot of time because it was probably a huge decision uh, for you. It may have been part of your life for a really long time. I know for me, I preached to my family like everyone needs to be vegan and so it was very much a part of like what I talk to people about. So. Just realizing like it's gonna take time, you're gonna transition, it's gonna be fine. Uh, and 
just to give yourself grace as you're going through that. Yeah, I feel like we're just like talking about this. It's a 40-minute podcast episode, but this is like people's entire lives and transitioning out or deciding to stay or whatnot is like a very touchy topic. There's so much information out there. You like don't know what to trust. You don't know what to think. And it's just like a hard process. So definitely be gentle on yourself. Go slow. Enjoy yourself. And if you want more information, because again, we can only do so much in one podcast episode, here are some amazing, incredible resources and books out there that we have turned to in the past just to learn more and get a better idea of the truth. So the first one is The Vegetarian Myth. That's a book, very good book, highly recommend. Um, Kate Shanahan has a book called Deep Nutrition, super informed informative nourishing traditions by sally fallon fallon yes um so much good information she kind of stems from weston a price which is another great resources great resource all about animal based nutrition uh the big fat lie is another great helpful resource sacred cow they talk about the nutritional environmental and moral reasons for not being vegan and lastly the kiss the ground documentary is a great one especially about the environmental impact because again i feel like everyone's like watches a vegan documentary and like decides to change whereas this documentary is much more level-headed and the opposite perspective yes so if you were curious how we eat now go back and listen to episode two where we talk about the Nourishing Nutrition Foundations, or you can follow us on Instagram and see pictures of what we post for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We are always giving ideas for meals on our Instagram pages. So to sum up the five reasons we don't recommend being vegan or vegetarian, number one, lack of bioavailable nutrients, two, lack of protein, three, it's not better for the environment, four, it can wreak havoc on your gut, and five, it can wreak havoc on your hormones. And the five ways to support yourself in transitioning off of one of those diets. First, start super slow. Second, listen to your cravings. Three, support your stomach acid. Four, prioritize quality animal products. And five, be patient and gentle with the process. So thank you all so much for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope you learned something new. We hope you We hope that we inspired you to maybe make this transition if you've been struggling for a long time. If you have any questions at all, please don't hesitate to contact us. Maddie, where can people learn more about you? Yes, so I am on Instagram at thegutgoddess, or you can find me on my website, thegutgoddess.com. What about you, Bella? And for me, you can DM me on Instagram. My handle is nourishwithbella, or you can send me an email at bella at nourishwithbella.com. So again, thank you so much for listening to this episode and we'll see you next week.